Hi, this is John, by the way, and today I'm looking in the Come Follow Me curriculum. I'm looking in my Come Follow Me for Individuals and Families manual, and the lesson is Matthew 8, Mark 2 through 4, and Luke 7. And these chapters have a lot of the stories of Jesus healing people, a leper, a centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, a man sick with the palsy, a man with a withered hand, and the son of the widow of Nain. But I wanted to focus on a little talked about parable in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 through 29. And it's a, it's a short one, but I, I think it's fascinating. And a lot of people call it the parable of the seed growing secretly. In fact, in the synopsis at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, it says, Jesus gives the parables of the sower, the candle under a bushel, the seed growing secret, secretly, and of the mustard seed, he stills the tempest. And this is just verses 26 through 29 of Mark 4. And he said, So is the kingdom of God as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep, and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in his sickle, because the harvest is come. So it's a small parable, and it's been commonly called, again, the seed growing secretly. And if you were listening, you probably heard one of our hymns. What is it? Come ye faithful people, come first the corn, and then the ear, then the full corn shall appear. That's like Mark 4. See, that would have been verse 28. <laughs> but this is what I, I wrote. I wrote a book about the parables years ago in 2010 called Of Pigs, Pearls, and Prodigals. And this is what I wrote about this parable. This parable appears only in Mark. Many have lumped it in with other seed parables in the Bible. In fact, the, the harmony of the gospel section in the Bible Dictionary lists this parable as a parallel with the wheat and tares in Matthew 13. But it's different enough, I thought, that it deserved its own chapter. And anyone who has pondered seeds and what seeds do will sense their miraculous nature. How can such a tiny object grow into something so huge? And some of us remember the emotion showed by President Hinckley when he talked about the newly fashioned pulpit in the conference center made from the wood of a walnut tree that he had planted himself from a tiny seedling. We also can sow seeds, and while we can describe what happens, the seeds sprouting and growing and producing seeds of its own, it's much more difficult to describe how it all happens, and that is the magic of the gospel. Remember that Alma the Younger, who at one point went about to destroy the church, had his own heart harrowed which is a farming term, by the Lord so that the seed could be planted in him. And then the miracle began. The seed grew to the point that Alma became a powerful missionary. And then he started to sow seeds and was eventually translated. And the parable is called by some the seed growing by itself or the seed growing secretly. And this description reminds me of a miraculous story called African Converts Without Baptism. Brother E. Dale LeBaron gave this talk at BYU. You'd find it on speeches.byu.edu. And this is what Brother Barron said in this talk, quote, 
more letters requesting literature were received from Nigeria and Ghana than from all the rest of the world combined. He said back in the 1950s, The church responded by sending literature, but the demand for church literature was so great that some Africans even established LDS bookstores. However, since there were no priesthood holders to preside and provide priesthood ordinances, those asking for baptism were told, the time is not yet. As they waited, they shared their knowledge and testimony of the gospel with others and organized congregations. It was reported that in the 1960s, there were more than 60 congregations in Nigeria and Ghana with more than 16,000 participants, none of whom were baptized. That's the end of the quote from Brother LeBaron. So the only seeds that they had were a few church pamphlets and promptings of the Holy Ghost. So it seemed to me the Lord was growing this little garden secretly or by itself, like the parable, for the missionaries one day to discover, and eventually they did. So an elder, Rendell maybe traveled a great distance through a rainforest when he came upon a little village church with a sign that read, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The pastor of the little church ran to Elder Maybe and told him they had just ended a 24-hour fast that missionaries would come. So now back to Brother LeBaron, quote, In both Nigeria and Ghana, the missionaries found hundreds who had testimonies of the Book of Mormon, the Prophet Joseph Smith, and the restoration of the gospel. All they needed was baptism. And so they were baptized. In one 24-hour period, 149 converts were baptized. Within one year, there were more than 1,700 members in 35 branches in West Africa. So once again, if you want the reference for that, it go to speeches.byu.edu and you can search under the date or the speaker, but it's E, initial E, Dale LeBaron, African Converts Without Baptism. It was given November 3rd of 1998. So the thing that fascinates me about this is the question is, does the Lord have more individuals or congregations growing secretly that he is waiting for, for us to discover? So how do we apply this, this parable to ourselves? You know, every spring, or I used to do this, I would buy those little discs of soil that looks like an egg carton and you the soil expands when water is added, and then after you get them wet, these discs grow to about an inch tall, and you push, you push, and you push some seeds down into the soil and leave them near a windowsill. And interestingly, some grow and some don't. And I don't know why that is, but one thing is certain: if I hadn't planted any at all, none would grow. And so it is with the gospel: we sow seeds, some will take root, some won't, but nothing will happen if we don't sow. And I just like that little parable of the seed growing secretly, and particularly that story. I should also mention that Brother LeBaron wrote a book, and it's called All Are Alike Unto God. And the subtitle is Fascinating Conversion Stories of African Saints. And he wrote this in 1990. He was the mission president in South Africa when the revelation was given in 1978, extending the priesthood to all worthy males. So it's, it's a fun read to see that the Lord had these seeds growing secretly or by themselves during that time. So I like that in Mark 4. And then another story that 
of course, we all love these stories of, of Jesus having compassion on sinners and healing. But in Luke chapter 7, when Jesus is at the home of Simon the leper, it says in verse 36, one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now, for some reason, the King James translators said box, but it was probably a jar. In fact, footnote 37b says Greek for flask. Verse 38 of Luke 7, And stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with ointment. Now when the Pharisee, which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. And he saith, Master, say on. There was a certain creditor, which had two debtors, the one owed five hundred pence and the other fifty. And when they had... And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them loved him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast rightly judged. And he turned to this woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss. But this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Wherefore, I say unto thee, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he saith unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he said to the woman, Thy faith has saved thee. Go in peace. Now, just to give some more background and context for this little story, I'm looking in the Religion 211-212 student manual. This is the manual used to teach institute classes or BYU religion classes. And I'm on page 154. While dining with a Pharisee named Simon, Jesus Christ was approached by a woman who had a reputation as a sinner. While she apparently, while she was apparently not invited to the feast, the woman was able to enter Simon's house because of social customs that allowed people in need to visit banquets and receive leftover food. The woman washed the Savior's feet with her tears, kissed his feet, and anointed them with anointment. Simon saw this action and in his thoughts criticized Jesus Christ for allowing the woman to touch him. In response, the Lord called attention to Simon's own faults. In contrast to the woman's acts of devotion toward the Savior, Simon had given Jesus no water to wash his feet, had offered no kiss of greeting, and had not anointed his head with oil. By purposely withholding these customary acts of kindness for a guest, Simon had demonstrated a lack of respect for the Savior. So it's helpful to know, if a guest was coming over to eat, you would do all of those things. And Simon didn't, but this woman did. So continuing from the Institute manual, Jesus then told a parable that presented both Simon and the woman as sinners who owed a debt to divine justice. Despite the woman's greater sins, it was she, not Simon, who received the Savior's blessings of forgiveness and peace 
because of her faith in the Savior and of repentance for her sins. And also in the manual, there's this reference to a talk that Elder Neil L. Anderson gave in October 2009 General Conference. And Elder Anderson said, Years ago, I was asked to meet with a man who, long before our visit, had had a period of riotous living. As a result of his bad choices, he lost his membership in the church. He had long since returned to the church and was faithfully keeping the commandments, but his previous actions haunted him. Meeting with him, I felt his shame and his deep remorse at having set his covenants aside. Following our interview, I placed my hands upon his head to give him a priesthood blessing. Before speaking a word, I felt an overpowering sense of the Savior's love and forgiveness for him. Following the blessing, we embraced and the man wept openly. I am amazed at the Savior's encircling arms of mercy and love for the repentant, no matter how selfish the forsaken sin. I testify, continued Elder Anderson, that the Savior is able and eager to forgive our sins, except for the sins of those few who choose perdition after having known a fullness, there is no sin that cannot be forgiven. What a marvelous privilege for each of us to turn away from our sins and come unto Christ. Divine forgiveness is one of the sweetest fruits of the gospel, removing guilt and pain from our hearts and replacing them with joy and peace of conscience. So these chapters that speak of these healings remind us that the Savior also can heal the Spirit from sin and the effects of sin, and that He is, as Elder Anderson said, not only able but eager to forgive if, if we will come to Him. And just another reason I love these, these stories. These stories remind us of the statement in John 3.17, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Thanks for joining me again, and we'll talk to you again next time.